Hey, this is Rudy Basso. I play Rain Bowie on the Demon Plague podcast, and you are listening to Redemption. Michael here, and I want to take just a few minutes of your time to talk to you about the artisans of Elderwood Academy. They craft amazing gaming products, including dice towers, dice trays, deck boxes, dice boxes, dice, and more. Elderwood Academy takes it one step further by crafting all their products to look like the awesome fantasy gear that we love. Spell books, scroll cases, codexes, and more. I'd like to make special mention of the beautiful spell books. They're an RPG gaming box. They come with an insert that can be customized to fit the things you would like, such as your dice, maybe some tokens or a pen. There is a dry erase board inserted into the lid, and the exterior of the box can look like a number of different books. They have nine different materials for the covers, and then there are a number of inlays and graphics you can have as well for the front of it. It can look like almost anything. In fact, these can be customized as well for a small additional fee. They're a gorgeous and very easy way to carry all the materials you might need from your game table to a convention back to your home. Head on over to elderwoodacademy.com slash don't split to see this and many other amazing products. They have a variety of price points available as well as gift cards, so you're sure to find something that won't empty your gold pouch. This is Redemption, an actual play podcast set in the Star Wars role-playing game system with Chris Burlew as the GM and the droid R3A1. Andy Fox as the mysterious Duros Isla Zarla, Kaylee Young as the Twi'lek Jedi Knight Corel, and Michael Waldschlager II as the Duros pilot Tazi. Special episode season recap. Chris, Kaylee, Andy, and Michael go over the past season's timeline to allow new listeners a chance to catch up. Listen as they talk about what has happened before to the crew and maybe learn some behind-the-scenes information. All right, welcome to another exciting recap episode. Today we are wrapping up with Season 4. Today you have myself, Chris, your Game Master, and joining me we have the lovely Michael Walschlager II. Say hi, Michael. (laughs) Hey, hi, Chris. So it's just the two of us tonight. Unfortunately, both uh, Kaylee and Andy were unavailable to assist with us this evening. They both had uh, some some very important things going on. But, you know, you get to hear our dulcet tones through this recap. I say we just dive right in. What do you think, Chris? Absolutely. Let's jump into episode one, Jedi Trials and Tribulations. Uh, back at the Jedi Temple, Corell and Master Thal were speaking about the encounter with the Sith Lord in the Separatist droid army, they both agreed that finding Ilar is their priority. Meanwhile, the crew was waiting at the hospital. Isla was once again in a coma. They were waiting for her to come out. What is this? Is this three comas now, or is this two comas? Uh, this is coma number two. Okay. Uh, while they were waiting for Isla, Zeke made a call over to Corel about a strange noise in her room. Corel goes back to her room and finds that the kyber crystal from the Sith lightsaber is drawn to her lightsaber hilt. Back in Isla's room, she wakes up and sees Tazi standing over her bed, worried and waiting. They speak about her experience, and Tazi tries his best to keep her relaxed and comfortable. Corel met back up with Master Thal to discuss the Sith crystal and her saber hilt. Corel then went and talked to Master Alshane and asked for his help and trying to figure out how to attune that new crystal to herself. 
he tells her that she will have to focus and purge the Sith influence from it. Uh, back at the hospital, uh, Isla is finally released, and she and Tazi attempted to contact Corel, but got no answer. They asked A1 where he was at. He said he's busy slicing into the temple files. Tazi, not so happy with that, gave a little scolding to A1, but they decided to meet up and make plans to find Corel. The scolding never really helps. Not really. Kind of goes in one center and out the other. Pretty much. Uh, Isla did suggest that they talk to Master Thal, and he told the crew that Corel is meditating and that she will contact them when she is done. We cut over and we saw that Corel was seated in one of the meditation rooms in the temple. She is looking through a vision of her past and looking to review her decisions. The crystal in front of her begins to become translucent and clear. Corel decides to put the purified crystal into her saber. We cut over and we saw A1, Isla, and Tazi went out, uh, went out to eat, as they do when they're on Coruscant. Yes, of course. There's so many places to choose from. In the process of eating, they talked about where they could find Reese and Alar. They determined to go talk to the senator from Ryloth, a Mr. Orn Ta, and see if he was able to help. When they were there at the senator's office, Isla decided to take the lead, spoke to one of the senator's administrators, and told her that her name was Verita Tazi. That takes us to episode two, uh, Tula's in Trouble. So Isla continues impersonating Verita, and uh, the admin she's speaking with is kind of starstruck uh, with meeting the famous Verita Tazi, uh, and immediately agrees to pass the information that they asked for onto the senator, and that the senator's office would be in touch. Uh, the group rushed out of the office after that, and Tazi warned Isla that Verita may not be too happy with this deception. What? No way. Mostly because Isla, I believe, said that Verita was uh, a matronly, I think? I believe something along those lines. Something not so flattering. No, no, not at all. Uh, so now waiting for contact from the senator and for Corel to finish her meditation, the three crewmates linger around the Senate building a bit. Tazi goes into a high-end bar and minutes later gets thrown out. And both 11D4 and Zeke contact Tazi and Isla to lodge complaints about each other. A1 gets pinged by one of his search programs uh, in the Jedi Temple computers and finds that the Twi'leks are looking for are on Tula, and Tula is under attack. At the temple, the crew reunites with Corel and fills her in on the information about the missing Twi'leks. They decide to leave immediately for Tula, and as the crew heads out to the landing platform, they find themselves attacked by Hixa and some of Hixa's forces. What? Crew's in a fight for their life as Corel begins to cut her way through Hixa's men. Isla tries to leap over the group, but one of the men catches her leg, slams her to the ground, and the combat continues. The crew is in serious trouble. Tazi gets netted to the ground, and A1 is sent skipping across the platform sideways. Corel sees an image of Master Yoda kind of appear and warn her against her attachments, and the image then fades. Corel helps Isla up, and the two powerful women continue the fight themselves. Isla intercepts Hixa, gets into a one-on-one -on -one combat, and Tazi gets off a glancing shot at the bounty hunter, but it doesn't appear to stop it. A1 tries to help, but A1's fusion cutter attachment promptly shoots out of his torso uh, to the ground. Corel sends another merc to the ground, and she moves to Isla's side. Isla misses Hixa, graces Corel with her vibrosword. Reacting quickly, Corel slices the sword in two before it can actually dig into her. But then Hixa pulls his fusion cutter at Corel and makes contact. Isla, with no weapon, reaches into her belt and pulls out 
What else? A lightsaber. It ignites into a bright red blade. With very little effort, Isla cleaves Hixa in two from hip to shoulder, and the droid falls to the ground in two halves. Corel and Isla square off with each other, kind of staring at each other as the remaining mercs capture A1 and drag him away. Isla moves over to the bound form of Tazi on the ground, looks directly at Corel, and without looking at Tazi, brings her saber down on him. A scream, and then silence. Isla reveals herself to Corel to be Master Huntress. That takes us into episode three. A final lesson. Corel closes her eyes and uses the force, pushes Isla off the edge of the landing platform. As Isla falls from view, Corel's eyes snap open. She is sitting cross-legged with the kyber crystal floating in front of her. Master Yoda sits on the floor across from her, and as she stands, he comments that the crystal was not the only thing cleansed in the meditation. Corel then realized that what had happened was a vision that the Force had sent her. We then cut over to A1, Isla, and Tazi, as they are actually heading back to the temple, still trying to find Corel. They enlist the help of a Padawan, who points them to Master Thal's chambers. Thal explains that Corel will be occupied in meditation for the next few days. Tazi pushes for more information, and Thal explains that Corel will be making a decision about rejoining the Jedi. The group then decides to leave Corel to focus on her decision, and to deciding what to do while they wait. One suggests that Isla and Tazi go on a one-night-only presentation of a Gungan opera. We cue a neat little shopping montage as Isla and A1 try to find clothing for Tazi. We do uh, shopping montages quite a bit, right? Yeah. Yeah, it seems to be a thing for us. Tazi does not have the best fashion sense, and, well... 100% true. Everybody else wants him to be look good. <laughs> uh, A1 then presents the two with their tickets and sends them off on their way. While they're at the opera, A1 heads off to find himself some trouble of his own in the form of, well, what else? A casino. <laughs> he plays for a short time before being confronted by guards and threatened to be fitted with a restraining bolt, which he doesn't like, so he leaves. Arriving at the opera, Tazi and Isla mingle with the crowd and are approached by an older Duros named Forn Lodge. He asks if Tazi is related to Essek and Ibn Tazi. Tazi and Forna talk about some old stories about Tazi's grandfather, and then the opera begins. As Tazi and Isla are taking their seats, they happen to notice that Chancellor Palpatine is there, and he happens to lock eyes with Isla briefly. This unsettles her, but eventually they do relax and enjoy a surprisingly emotional performance of an opera. You wouldn't think a Gungan opera would be that uh, that emotionally trying, but uh, apparently they're uh, they're quite uh, they're quite talented at bringing the emotions to the forefront. That they were. After the show, Tazi and Isla decided to go get dessert at a restaurant that specializes in Nabu cuisine. They split a huge section of a huge sugary dessert and then head back to their quarters. We cut over to Zeke as he's jetting into one of the buildings near the Senate. He rolls into a darkened room where he meets a given sitting behind a desk who calls himself the director. For people who aren't familiar, Chris, what does a given look like? Almost skeleton-like looking. I'd almost want to say 
the given, a face of a given kind of looks like the mask of the villain from the Scream movies, right? Yes, that's a great way of describing them. Uh, they are very creepy looking. Mm-hmm. Next to the director, we have a human who announces himself as Kando, and the three of them discuss their plans for A1, his stored memory backup, and what they want to do with the crew of the Crowlet's Fang. Before we get into episode four, I just want to kind of touch on something. These first three episodes were very unique for both the players and the game master, <laughs> because this was the first time I had actually looked at a player's long-term goals for a character and actually helped them achieve them. Kaylee had never had a character make a major milestone, and she really wanted Corel to become a Jedi. To do it, though, I had to ask Michael and Andy to actually play their characters a little differently. So it was a very unique experience because the three of us actually got to do the fight scene kind of without Kaylee knowing what was going on. So Isla revealing herself as this Darth Huntress and killing Tazi was complete surprise to everyone. The camera swipes over to Corel. And it looks like Corel hasn't even moved, not a muscle. She's still sitting in the same location. The only difference is the room is empty at this point. Okay. And the door opens and in walks Master Thal. He takes one step into the room. And Corel just opens her eyes and do doesn't even move, but just kind of, she, she opens her eyes at that point. He looks at you and says, When you are ready, come to the Hall of Knighthood. Before then, center yourself and focus your thoughts. And then he turns and walks out of the room. Krell just is kind of looking into the distance, not really focusing on anything for a long moment. She stands up slowly and the camera follows her as she walks out the door and down a long hall. And as Carell walks down the series of corridors to get to the Hall of Knighthood, the corridor that leads to the door, as you're walking down, it gets darker and darker. As you get to the door, it opens up and you see a dark room in front of you. Carell just takes a breath, centers herself, and steps into the room. And as soon as Carell, you step in the room, Next to you, on either side, your right and left, you hear lightsabers ignite one after the other, and you realize it's a circular room, and you see a dozen Jedi are circling the room. Members of the High Council are here, and those that are not here have been replaced with other Jedi. To your immediate right is Master Thal. To your immediate left is Master Alshane. Master Thal just simply, with his free hand, motions towards the center of the room. Without any hesitation, it's almost as if she knew he was going to do that. Corell simply walks forward to the center of the room, and when she gets to the precise center of the room, she doesn't know how she knows it. She just knows it's the center of the room. She stops and kneels. And as you kneel down, you pick your head up, and you see Master Yoda is on the other side of the room, and he approaches you and stands in front of you. By the right of the council... By the will of the Force, I dub thee Knight of the Republic. Yoda's lightsaber flies into his right hand. He ignites it, and the blade comes down to Corel's right shoulder, and then comes down to Corel's left shoulder, and then holds the saber in front of him with both hands. And then, in a final salute, the saber is raised into the air with both hands. 
and the other Jedi follow suit. I'll add that we also played it up a little bit on social media and in our Discord as well. So uh, the listeners that take part in the Discord with us and kind of hang out, we really played up the fact that this was likely to be the last time anyone saw Tazi. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a trick we can yeah. never do again. I agree. Never back to that well. Yep. But back to the episodes. Yes, episode four, going all in. A1 spent some time exploring the lower levels of Coruscant, looking for a casino that won't be too concerned about a droid gambler. And he finds a little run-down joint and rolls in to join a Sabak game already in progress. Around that table are a number of shady creatures, uh, a frustrated Cathar, an energetic Kushiban, and a quiet and downtrodden Chiss. The attractive dealer droid anties A1 into the game, and after a number of rounds, the Chiss... It's going to be a good night. The attractive dealer droid anties A1 into the game, and after a number of rounds, the Chiss and the Kushiban leave the game angry and broke, as A1 just keeps winning. Moments later, a flamboyantly dressed Zeltron joins the game, passing his cape and hat to a small valet droid that follows him around. The dealer droid passes out the next hand, and the Zeltron goes all in on the first hand, followed by A1, and after a tense moment, the droid announces that A1 has won. The Cathar growls in rage and leaves the table, leaving the Zeltron and A1 in an all-night private stakes game. Some conversation between the Zeltron and A1 reveals that the Zeltron actually owns the casino, and finds A1 fascinating. They talk about a possible job, and the Zeltron offers A1 a chip with his picture on one side and a holocode on the other, in case A1 decides that he'd like some work. A1 escorts the dealer droid back to her charging station, powers her down, and slices into the casino surveillance system to spy on the Zeltron's quarters. He sees an interesting time unfold, and as the party winds down and the partiers are sleeping, A1 makes his way into the Zeltron's room. Cut to the Jedi Temple the next morning as A1 rolls into the crew's quarters with a new hat, a new cloak, and a small valet droid following him around. He finds Tazi and Isla passed out in their opera finery and wakes them with a spray of casino chips onto the bed. Classy. Super classy. Moments later, Corel bursts into the room, half asleep and exhausted, and she thinks that A1, Tazi, and Isla are hallucinations. They leave Corel to rest in the room and go to the temple cafeteria to eat. A1 takes the valet droid, who's now known as D7, to the Kralitz Fang to meet the other droids. While in the ship, A1 gets a holocall from Darla on Tula. She informs A1 that the witch's hold on Essek has been broken, and he is requested to see Tazi. She also confirms that both of the wanted Twi'leks are currently on Tula. A1 comps Tazi to let him know the good news. Tazi and Isla head back to the Kralitz Fang and work with A1 to confirm the information. In a hurry, the group calls Corel to wake her and get her moving to meet. Corel says she needs to see Master Thal first, and she will be there soon. And when she meets with Master Thal, he congratulates her on her trials and offers her a small gift from her former master. Corel is then presented with her former Padawan's braid. Arriving at the ship, Corel gives Tazi an unexpected hug, and Tazi orders her to get some more rest. Before the ship can leave, Senator Palpatine's aide arrives and asks to meet with the crew. He boards the ship to present the crew with a traditional award, the Medal of Honor, a medal offered in the days of the Old Republic. He presents one to Tazi, one to Isla, and gives them a box to give Corel. A1 then asks why he hasn't been presented with a medal as well, and Tazi and Isla both offer him their medals in solidarity. 
The Chancellor's aide is hurried off the ship, and the crew takes off toward Tula. And that takes us to episode five, Time for Change. En route to Tula, the crew gathers in the common room after a nice evening of rest. A1 presents the Medal of Honor to Corel, and the crew explains to Corel why it was presented to them. The crew presses Corel on her ordeal, and she quickly explains that she has passed her trials and is now a Jedi. As they talk, Tazi gets a little emotional and walks out, causing Corel to follow him. Tazi and Corel speak rather candidly and frankly about Tazi's fear that Corel will be forced to leave the crew. Corel explains that that might happen, but she does consider him family and that that will never change. Corel also reveals to Tazi the entirety of the trial, even his death in the vision. She then asks that Isla never know the full details, as Corel is worried that that may push Isla down a dark path. The two of them did debate about the dangers of the secret, but in the end agreed to keep it quiet. After that deep conversation, Corel attempts to give Tazi relationship advice, and Tazi begrudgingly accepts it, admitting he wants something meaningful with Isla. In the common room, Isla and Zeke discuss the importance of freeing more droids from their servitude while A1 tries to back himself out of the chat. The three split up and A1 heads to the cockpit. Tazi and A1 have a chat about music therapy that Essek is going through, and Tazi tries to explain the appeal of music to A1. We cut over to Verita Tazi taking a comm from her pocket and speaking with a contact named Grawl, who gives her a rendezvous point. The camera shifts to the contact's point of view, and as he ends the call, his features shift back to those of Kando. Kando was the human standing next to the director that Zeke talked to. Turns out Kando is a shapeshifter, not a human. Verita lands on the planet Tanab and arrives at the assigned rendezvous point. Grawl, or Kando, moves from the bar and they begin discussing the Krowlitz Fang and they agreed on an exchange of information. Verita offers to set up a meeting with Tazi and ask Grawl to get information on Isla as well to locate the missing KO. Kando then contacts the director and provides him an update on the progress with the Krowlitz Fang, A1, and hiring the crew to search for Ilar. They decide that they would only take other action if hiring the crew fails. Back on the Krowlitz Fang, Isla and Corell had a heart-to-heart talk about what it is to be a Jedi and Corell's plans for the future. Then they had a very candid conversation about Isla and Tazi's relationship status, which was still a little bit in limbo. Yeah, you know, they were like dating, but not really. It's, it was a little odd, right? There's been so much going on, there's not a lot of time to focus on, you know, relationship building. Yeah. And, you know, Tazi might be a little worried that, you know, in a dream, his girlfriend just killed him. Be a little awkward. That could be an issue. Uh, Speaking of Tazi, he did wander in on the conversation, which made it take a very awkward turn. Naturally. (laughs) Corral got frustrated with the two of them. She has an outburst, kind of naturally, (laughs) and she commands them to get together and get over it. As Corel storms off, doors are slammed, Tazi and Izza look at each other and head to the snuggle pot. That brings us into episode six, Singing in the Brain, our musical episode, our infamous musical episode. 
The ship dropped out of hyperspace over Tula, and the crew landed to look for a recent alarm. As the crew was going to enter the front door, A1 jumped forward, threw up the door, and announced their arrival via song. Uh, this happened a number of times in the episode, as it is a musical episode, uh, characters broke into songs, all written by our dear Andy, and composed by our dear Andy, and, uh, and performed by various members of the crew. The temple responded with a welcome song of their own. Darla and Essek met the crew at the door, and uh, Essek got to meet Isla for the first time. They then moved to a private room to talk. It turned out Essek had been responding very well to musical therapy, and it helps his comprehension when things are sung to him. Isla introduces herself to Essek in the form of a song. A1 was confused about music and wondered why it worked. Uh, Essek took Tazi to a side room, told him he wanted to be a better dad, asked Tazi to speak to him about Tazi's problems, and Tazi did so with a song. Kral learned from Darla that Reese and Alar had left Tula to go to Ryloth. Isla and Karel had a small discussion about the Force when Essek and Tazi come into the room, which leads to Isla trying to explain the Force through song. However, Karel cut the song a little short. Essek wants to go with the crew to help, but Tazi declines. This leads to A1 singing a song about parents. The crew then packs up and leaves for Ryloth. That led us to episode 7, Tome of Foes. This was actually just a bonus episode. Uh, we got to participate in the release of D&D's Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes. And we actually had Andy take over as the Game Master. And we had her, through Isla, run the crew through an actual D&D module. So nothing actually progressed the plot of our actual show. It was just a fun game where our characters got to play D&D characters. So kind of a game within a game. It's a neat little episode. Yeah, if you want to hear us playing Dungeons & Dragons as the crew of the Kralitz Fang, this is a fun episode to listen to. And that takes us over to episode 8, Caught in the Crossfire. Uh, the ship dropped out of hyperspace a little too early, and alarm sounded. They had dropped into a raging battle over Ryloth. Republic forces were trying very hard to break through a Separatist blockade. A1 was asked to make some fake Separatist credentials using the name Keebler Wave. Familiar to listeners. Yep. Tazi planned to use these credentials as a means to slip past... Blah. Tazi planned to use these credentials as a means to slip past the blockade, but it turned out these credentials marked the Keebler wave as a wanted ship. Once they switched those credentials on, the ship was attacked by vulture droids. A little combat ensued with these droid ships, and Tazi was very focused on pushing past the Separatist ships. No matter how much damage the ship took or how dangerous the area became, he would not turn away. A1 tried to talk Tazi out of his course of action, but he was ignored. Eventually, Isla told A1 to transfer controls of the ship to her, and she maneuvered the ship back to safety. Surprisingly, this upset Tazi, and lots of yelling occurred. Nah, Tazi? Eh, he was a little, little loud. Dad voice became uh, pretty prominent. <laughs> Tazi then stormed to the back of the ship. Karel then tried to talk to Tazi and eventually he admitted that he was wrong, but he was upset that not everyone had faith in him. Isla then joined the conversation, and they managed to talk through their issues. That brings us to episode 9, There and Back Again. A1 was flying the ship and noticed the Republic ships were about to jump to light speed. 
letting Tazi know they decided to follow a group of Republic fighters headed toward the cruiser called the Resolute. Tazi gained permission, and they landed on board. While on board, Tazi talked to a deck officer who directed him to talk to a Jedi lecturing a young female Togruta. Tazi spoke to the young girl and learned that her name was Ahsoka Tano. He told her why they wanted to go back to Ryloth, and she told him that the decision was up to General Skywalker and Admiral Yularen. Tazi, Karel, and Isla all went to the bridge to talk to General Skywalker. He was in charge, as the Admiral had been injured during the combat. Skywalker told them he was working on collecting the resources to enact a new plan, and he would let them know when everything was ready. He then sent them to their guest quarters, where Isla and Karel waited. Tazi went back to the ship to help A1 with some ship repairs, and the two of them worked out their little issues. All of a sudden, a ship-wide alert went out, requesting all hands to report to the landing bay. The Republic was moving everyone from another cruiser to the Resolute. Then, the fleet jumped to light speed, heading back to Ryloth. Admiral Yularen told Corell that the crew could catch a ride to the planet's surface on a prototype stealth ship. She gathered the crew, plus D4, and they headed for this ship. At the stealth ship, they met the pilot, a Zextos, who had a reaction when he saw Isla. Only Tazi noticed, but he didn't seem concerned. On their way to the planet's surface, on their way back to the planet's surface, Corell went to the back of the ship to change into her combat gear, and she found Reese and Alar on board. She called A1 to come talk to them, and he explained why they needed to work together. Episode 10, Coincidences. Back on the stealth ship, we learned that the pilot, his name is Ardith, and he was planning on taking Reese and Alar down to the planet's surface so they could join the resistance. They all discussed different plans, and they decided that they would all go down to Ryloth together to capture some B1 battle droids. Ardith and Corell had a brief talk about Isla's past, and they discussed what they knew about it. As they were flying down, they saw that General Skywalker took one of the Republic cruisers and crashed it into one of the Separatist capital ships. That helped them get a distraction and helped them get to the surface. Corell went back and talked with the rest of the crew and told them that Ardith knew something about Isla's past, but she was unsure how much he knew. While the crew was discussing this, 11D4 disappeared, and eventually Tazi found him in the cockpit, quote, asking Ardith questions about Isla's past. Tazi sent D4 to the back of the ship. He then questioned Ardith. He learned that Isla is wanted on Troken for a 12-year-old kidnapping. Suddenly, the stealth ship was spotted by the Separatist, and Tazi realized that Ardith had turned off the stealth functions and was flying the ship directly towards the Separatist ground forces. Ardith looked at Tazi and said, She took them from me, I will take her from you. Realizing what this meant, Tazi quickly drew his pistol out and fired a shot into Ardith's head. In the back, the crew heard the blaster shot and rushed to the cockpit. They found Tazi now piloting the ship, and Ardith was unconscious on the floor. The ship was taking heavy fire from anti-aircraft cannons. D4 was told to keep Ardith alive, and Reese managed to re-engage the stealth functions on the ship. Through his skill and talents as a pilot, Tazi managed to land outside of a small village. You're only saying that because I'm here with you. Uh, I would never kiss up to you. Compliment, yes. Kiss up, no. Okay. Uh, Tazi explained that Ardith was going to crash the ship. He then told D4 to keep Ardith sedated and to stay with him on the ship. 
the rest of the group left to go capture the needed battle droids. They then searched the small village, found a nice speeder, and headed towards the Separatist forces. On the way, they were attacked by some native creatures called Gutkers, and they defeated them with only minor injuries. We start episode 11, Droid Hunt. After the fight with the Gutkers, the crew spotted several Republic ships entering the atmosphere, but these were being driven back by heavy anti-aircraft fire. The crew debated which direction to go, and started to go a different way to find the needed droids. Using some macro binoculars, Corell looked at the area with the anti-aircraft cannons and noticed several Twi'leks were being held as prisoners in a bowl-shaped rock formation. The course was then changed to head directly to this formation. All of a sudden, the comms and scanners became jammed. They quickly figured out there was a portable jamming device within a half a kilometer from them. They decided to take this jammer out and spoof the signal to hide the fact that it was destroyed. They snuck their way up to find a group of 50 droids all headed toward the back of the Republic ground troops. In the middle of this group of droids was the portable jammer. They snuck back and sent a coded message to the Republic warning them of the troop movements. Then, they made a, a distinct effort to avoid this group of 50 droids and continued toward the area where the prisoners were being held. They stopped in a covered area just outside a small village. And that took us to episode 12, Stuck in the Middle. The group hid the speeder in a nice rock formation. And while they were doing that, back on the Crowlet's Fang, Zeke made a comm call to his buddy Kando. Uh. He told Kando that this is the perfect time to enact their plan, and he gave up the location of the ship. Kando headed that way. Meanwhile, back on the planet, the group managed to sneak up near the cannons, but were faced with a tough climb up a rock face, Plus, the Twi'leks had been moved into a position creating a living shield between the Separatist forces and all attackers. Corell managed to sneak up the rock face and moved into a position with a group of Twi'leks. We cut back over to the Crowlet's Fang, and we saw Zeke giving Kando a tour of the ship. They searched until they found A1's backup memory bank. Then, poor D7, our little valet droid, was cut in half by Kando. Kando and Zeke discussed replacing A1 with an imposter. Back on the planet's surface, Ilar and Tazi had moved to higher ground and surveyed the area. Tazi noticed a few Republic troops moving around the village with a Twi'lek child. Ilar noticed that the Separatists had built bunkers into the walls of the cliffs and that the prisoners were in a tough spot for them to make a frontal attack. Corell had joined a group of prisoners and lowered a female down the rock face. She sent her over to the crew to give them a message. The rest of the group worked to set up a speeder to be remote piloted and to deliver a payload of explosives. A1 remote piloted the speeder over the area where Corell was and crashed it into one of the tanks. Using that as a distraction, Corell started using the force to lower prisoners down the cliff. A1 kicked in his rockets, flew up to where Corell was and dropped her lightsaber to her. The rest of the group then attacked the droids and helped the Republic forces clear the area. Reese managed to get the needed droids, even though the crew kept shooting them in their processors. We cut back to Kando. He's on his ship. He has programmed another R3 unit with A1's memories. He then instructed this droid to act as the real A1, and to only report to him or the director. 
Kando then directed Zeke to bring A1 to him. Using the story that Kando needs a Separatist code broken. Now, episode 13, Shell Game. On Ryloth, Corel speaks to General Kenobi and manages to get a gunship to give them a ride back to the stealth ship so they could leave. On the stealth ship, they find D4 had kept Ardith sedated and could wake him whenever. Tazi then told Isla why Ardith had tried to crash the ship. Isla had a very strong reaction, and they decided to try and ask him some questions later. Back on board the Resolute, everyone regrouped back at the Kralitz Fang, and we find that Zeke took A1 to Kando, and they switched droids. The new imposter A1 then joined Reese and Alar to work on the droids and break the code. A1 sent Reese to do other tasks. Reese looked for the deck officer and was directed to Ahsoka Tano. She was upset because she had lost a friend in the battle on the planet. Ahsoka's friend was trapped between the main droid force and a second group that attacked from behind them. Ahsoka told Reese that they needed more people for the war. She then sent Reese to Bay 1 to help work on Republic ships. Meanwhile, Isla was working on teaching Tazi how to weld hull plating onto the ship, and he is not very good at it. Alar and A1 work on cracking the code and learn that the droids have been programmed to operate independently if they're cut off from the main command module. They discover that the code they hid years ago was still intact and embedded in the vocabulary program. They figured out they could control some small groups of droids, but could not send the code to a large group. That takes us to episode 14. Where do we go from here? A1 and Nalar decided they were going to go to the bridge on the Resolute to tell someone important what they had found. On the way, they ran into Corel, who decided to accompany them up to the bridge. On the bridge, they spoke with General Skywalker and Admiral Yularen. They explained that they could use a small group of droids to infiltrate a Separatist base. This seemed very appealing to General Skywalker. Meanwhile, Tazi and Isla continued to sort of weld hull plating onto the ship. Again, Tazi not so good at this. Uh, managed to actually weld part of his flight suit to the hull plating. Zeke brought out some drinks for Tazi and Isla. Isla then questioned him on what happened while they were gone. Zeke lied to her, shocking, and said nothing important. D4 uh, made a quick call to Tazi and told him that Ardith was awake. D4 offered to interrogate Ardith, but was told to go back to the ship. Tazi and Isla then went to talk to Ardith. When they got there, they found that D4 had not gone back to the ship. D4 asked Tazi what his punishment would be for disobeying an order. Tazi was a little confused by that and told him not to worry about it. Isla tried to explain to Ardith that she had lost her memories, but Ardith just yelled at her that he has lost his family. Isla tried to explain why she had done what she did, and D4 interjected that Plagueis did have two Zextos, a mother and daughter. D4 told them that these two had escaped. That news caused a tremendous reaction in Isla, and she fell into her third coma. Coma number three, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. In the coma, she had a flashback. We actually recorded the flashback with Tracy from the Broadswords podcast. She mm. was a guest on this one. The flashback started in a lab on Munalist, and Isla was talking with Darth Plagueis. He wanted her to bring the two Zextos up to the lab. Isla looked into the mother's eyes 
and she felt the mother's fears. She decided to help them escape. Isla realized that she no longer feared losing her life to Plagueis. Instead, she was more afraid of what she had become. Isla reached over and opened every cell in the lab and helped a small riot break out. She then grabbed some of the Iselamari to hide her force signature and began guiding the Zextos towards her ship. Suddenly, an alarm sounded, letting everyone know that the cleansing protocol had been engaged. This flooded certain parts of the lab with a flammable gas that will burn all the creatures in the area. As Isla was leading the Zextos out, they did inhale some of the gas, but still managed to make it to her ship. As they were trying to leave, Plagueis and Titus appeared in the landing bay, and Plagueis began to force choke Isla. Isla managed to enter a code into the ship's computer, and we saw the computer say the NAOS 3 protocol was engaged. Then Isla passed out. Days later, Isla and the Zextos woke up just off NAOS 3. None of them could remember much of their past. Isla remembered that she is a mechanic looking to mine on planet, while the mother remembered only that the other Zextos is her daughter. On Naos 3, a doctor could not figure out how their memories were changed, but did tell them it was not from natural causes. Isla gave her ship to the two Zextos. They left Naos 3 to start their new life. We come out of the flashback. We saw Tazi and D4. They had taken Isla back to the Kralitz Fang, and D4 began to treat her. He was working hard to figure out what had happened to Isla. Once Tazi filled D4 in on Isla's past memory alteration on Duro, D4 determined that her memory had been altered once before. Upon further investigation, he realized that Isla had been exposed to a gas 12 years ago. Meanwhile, Reese and Alar, they took Ardith's stealth ship, headed back to Ryloth's surface, and joined the resistance. We'll be back to this episode of Redemption in just a moment after a word from our sponsor. Hey there, listeners. It's Shane and Ishan, your hosts from the Total Party Thrill podcast, the newest addition to the Don't Split the Podcast Network. We talk topics that help you, dear listener, create and play better RPG games. We have a back catalog of more than 150 weekly episodes. And we got nominated for an Emmy for episode 11, Social Contracts. In episode 154, we talked about crossing the moral event horizon. How evil is too evil? We also recap our home games, like the 40k Rogue Trader campaign, Dynasty Unwarranted. Um, but that's mainly just you trying to kill us all. In your defense, our characters are greedy idiots. Don't forget the three years we spent Neberon playing Morning Glory, your 5th edition D&D campaign. We also review new RPGs and books, and every episode we build a 5th edition D&D character in the Character Creation Forge. You might check out the pint-sized Punisher from episode 119, a halfling with a bad attitude, and 14 levels of Barbarian. So to recap, total party thrill. RPG advice, campaign recaps, and D&D characters built by your dashing hosts every single week. What more could you possibly want? To get back to the actual show? Oh yeah, let me just hit this button, and here you go. Episode 15, Lessons of the Past. D4 tells Tazi that Isla's brain is resisting the effects of the gas, and that he had helped develop the gas with Huntress and Plagueis, but D4 did not have any record of what the Huntress looked like. He has only records that she was a collector for ah, Plagueis. I'm going to screw that up a couple times. Plagueis. Plagueis. It's spelled goofy. Plagueis. Okay. One more time. 
D4 tells Tazi that Isla's brain is resisting the effects of the gas. He reveals that he helped develop the gas with the Huntress and Plagueis, but D4 did not have any records of what the Huntress actually looked like. He only has records that she was a collector for Plagueis. Waking up, Isla tells Tazi about her flashback. She was upset about her past and that her memories are all false. Also, she's upset that she caused the death of so many during their escape. D4 reveals that he has some information about the escape, and tells Tazi that not all the people had died during the process. Corell and the Impostor A1 were busy working to fix the bad welds on the ship caused by Tazi, and completing other repairs. Looks like they need some more parts from the Republic. What? No way. Really? The, the ship isn't well stocked? Shocking. Shocking. Tazi and Corell discussed the name Huntress, and Corell tells Tazi that this was the name Isla called herself in Corell's Force Vision. I got a Lolf cat in here somewhere. <laughs> they discussed what this meant, and then Tazi asked Corell to talk to Isla about her past. Tazi then went to ask A1 to move the parts request up on the priority list, and A1 went to take care of that as well. Corell talks with Isla about her past, and Isla feels that her actions were unredeemable. Corell tells her that her remorse shows that she can be redeemed. A1 manages to get parts delivered, and get that time cut down from 17.5 hours to 3 hours. Clever, clever imposter A1. He's got some skills. He does. Once the parts arrived, Corell signed for them and noticed they were authorized by Ayla Secura. Corell went to confront A1 and found him gambling with some troopers. She ruins his game, and A1 then denied changing the parts request at all. D4 tells Tazi that he has concluded that Isla's connection with the Force was the key to healing her memories. Tazi then tells Isla this and suggests she tries meditating to help her heal. The best person to talk to about meditating on the crowds, Fang? Corell. Fair enough. Definitely not A1. Definitely not A1. Definitely not Tazi. Tazi likes to drink and shoot, not meditate. Corell then gets a comm call from a detention officer asking what to do with Ardith. Corell tells him to have him sent to the Republic to face charges of attempted murder. With some hard work and elbow grease, A1 and Corell get the ship repaired enough to fly, but advise Tazi to avoid any fights on their way to Coruscant. This led us to episode 16, The Admiral. The crew is headed for Coruscant, but due to some spotty welding, the ship had a mechanic. What? Hey, I'm not pointing fingers. The, ah, I'm not pointing fingers, but there was a mechanical issue and the ship did drop out of hyperspace. They ended up over the resort planet of Cantonica. Not an ice planet, a resort planet. A1 then booked the crew the Admiral level package at the resort in the city of Canto Bight. A1 told Tazi that they were paying with credits, and no one questioned him any further. Once on the planet, they were greeted by a luxury skiff sent over by the resort. As they boarded the skiff, Tazi noticed a young Zeltron wearing large goggles talking to a young Zabarak who happened to be wearing brown robes. These two younglings were staring at them. Then, once the kids realized that Tazi noticed them, they quickly ran and hid into the shadows. Corral then ordered the needed parts for the repairs on the ship and noticed that several other orders were being sent to a pod racing track that was currently being built. Crew decided this was a perfect time for a short vacation. Episode 17, Vacation. The crew, tired and exhausted, arrives at the resort and Tazi notices two small figures peeking out at them from behind a data pad. 
he doesn't get a good look at their faces as they scurry away. As A1 had already booked the crew the Admiral's suite, they arrived and found they had a floor all to themselves. Tazi told the crew about the two small figures he saw staring at them, and D4 offered to try and track them down. Tazi tells him not to worry about it. Once again, D4 offered to be useful and was told, nah, just sit in the corner. I think we still hadn't worked out the whole killing people thing. Not yet. You are correct. Probably a safe move on our part. For sure. A1 takes Zeke and leaves to go to the casino. And Tazi, in a feeling of maybe guilt for how many times he tells D4 to stay behind, he sends D4 with them. Corel went to the gym to work out, and Tazi and Isla stayed in the suite, and each received a massage from a very skilled Doug. During the massage, they learn about the pod racing challenge happening currently on Canto Bite. Anyone willing to test this brand new course would be paid 500 credits, and whoever beat the track record would earn an extra 10,000. Tazi's eyes lit up at the prospect of 10,000 credits. Back with the droids, A1 tells D4 that he's free to do whatever he wants to do and suggests he go help at a medical center. D4 likes this idea as he could be useful there. Once D4 was gone, A1 and Zeke called the director and sent him the code from the droids. Imposter A1 explained that he gave the Republic a way to control small groups of droids, but not the whole code. He also tells the director where Reese and Alar are, and the director tells him that he would take care of them. The director sent Zeke on a mission of his own to enact a small campaign on Ryloth. He then revealed to the Imposter A1 that his replacement on the Kralitz Fang would be ready soon, and that Imposter A1 had better be ready to move quickly. We jump over to Ardith on the Republic cruiser, and a hollow emitter was slid into his cell. From the hollow emitter, the director appears and offers him another chance to kill the crew of the Kralitz Fang. Episode 18, Adventures in Clothing Acquisitions. Ardith agreed to the director's offer, and he was freed. The director had a new ship waiting for Ardith, plus... On the ship, in a crate, was the real A-1, surrounded by a ring of thermal detonators, and a data pad that simply had the name Tello Nada on it. Arda smiled, and takes off in his new ship. Back in the Admiral's suite, a Nemoidian tailor came in, and decided it was time for Tazi to have a nice suit. While Tazi was working with the tailor, Corell and Isla went to a clothing store where they had some clothes made for themselves. At this store, they heard about this pod race challenge once again. Isla was curious. She decided to call Tazi and discuss it with him. He was very concerned about the dangers of a pod race. Corell and Isla returned back to the suite with several bags of new clothes, and they both fell in love with Tazi's new suit. Corell, Tazi, and Isla decided to head to the pool. On their way, Tazi noticed the young Zeltran from earlier in the day. He was talking with a young Grand, and they were comparing the crew to images on a data pad. Once they noticed that they had been spotted, the younglings tried to run away. Corell and Isla finally noticed the kids, and they all chased after them. Isla caught the Zeltran, who asked her if that was the real Tazi the captain of the Kralitz Fang. We arrive at episode 19, 
a guided tour. A bit of a brief conversation with the Zeltron, and they quickly learned that he is a fan of the crew. The Grand comes back and joins the talk and even shows them a holonet page dedicated to the adventures of the Kralitz Fang. Turns out Zeke had created a fan page for the ship without the crew knowing. That Zeke. Grrr. <laughs> Karel calls A1 on the comm and immediately tells him to fire Zeke. Imposter A1 tells her that this was very convenient timing, but Karel doesn't ask why. The children are then offered a tour of the ship and asked if they could bring their friends along. Four kids in total. Zeb the Zeltron, a big fan of Tazi. Kane, a Zabrak, modeled himself after Karel. A Rodian named Sil wanted to be a swordmaster, just like Isla, and a Grand named Rowena considered herself the second best slicer in the galaxy, just behind A1. The kids fanboyed out during the tour. It was discovered that the Hollownet page revealed a little too much about the crew and the layout of the ship. That Zeke. A1 returns to the ship as the tour group was having lunch. At first, he doesn't want to show off his workshop at all. Instead, he needs to tell Tazi that he lost Zeke to a gambler named Lana Bahal. Tazi was not upset at all about this, but was concerned that A1 lost a sizable chunk of their money. A1 suggests that Tazi do the pod race challenge to make up for the losses. In addition, A1 mentions to Tazi that D4 went to the med center to help out. Tazi tells him to make sure that D4 stays out of trouble. The crew regroups in the workshop, where the kids ask a lot of questions about what they're doing to the different droids. The crew deflects the questions and moves to the other cargo bay, where Syl and Isla begin to spar with training swords. Next, we have episode 20, A Situation You Can't Refuse. This started with a nice montage of Isla training with Syl, trying to teach her some sword smithing, not sword smithing, <sighs> Sword uh, sword play? Yeah. Uh, this episode started off with a nice montage of Isla training Syl. What? Let's look. Oh. This episode starts I got with it. a training montage. Yeah, I got it. I gotcha. just hit something on the keyboard and it lit up on You're me. Good. I'm going to put my hands. <laughs> this episode starts with a nice montage of Isla training with Syl with a sword, and it turns out Syl was quite skilled and Isla took a few lumps. The crew then learned that all these kids are slaves on Canto Bite. This caused Corel to immediately decide that they were going to free them. No discussions, this is happening. Crew went to discuss this, and the imposter A1 pointed out that taking the kids would be stealing. Not that he was concerned, he was kind of impressed that Corel was willing to break the law. Corel then went back and forth between the crew and the kids asking questions. She learned that Kane is Force-sensitive. Also learned that Zeb's mom was also a slave. She was currently working as a dancer on planet. It was also revealed that Rowena's dad was also a slave, and he was brought there to help build the pod racing track. All of the slaves were owned by the track owner, Jenna Dakar. Tazi then went and asked the kids if they wanted the crew to rescue them. In a very emotional moment, Zeb rushed over, hugged Tazi, and told him, We have dreamed of this, that you guys would come rescue us. Tazi brought the kids to the rest of the crew, and the decision was made to rescue the kids and their parents. 
Now they just had to figure out how and where to go. They told the kids they would contact with them once they were ready. Episode 21, Split the Party. The crew discussed how sticky the situation was, and Isla, after a long discussion, decided that she wanted to take a nap. As Carell researched Janet Carr, Tazi got a call from the medical director of the hospital. Tazi was asked to come pick up D4, as D4 was becoming a little forward in sharing too much information with the patients. Tazi then left to fetch 11D4. He found D4 locked in a supply closet at the hospital. D4 then asked why people were afraid of the knowledge he had gained from the grand experiment. This led to an ethics conversation between Tazi and D4, while Tazi explained that people do not always want to know where things come from and how things work. Also, he let D4 know about the plan to rescue the slaves, and D4 was happy to be considered useful. Hey, for once. <laughs> for once, right? It's about time. Carell and Isla head to the hotel, but get distracted by the pod racing track itself. It's huge, it's under construction. While they were there, they were directed to talk to Zulara Atom for information on the track. Zulara told them that she was paying test pilots 500 credits to test the track, and if a pilot could beat the computer-simulated time of 3 minutes 15 seconds, they would also get a 10,000 credit bonus. Isla was familiar with this information, but Carell's eyes lit up at the prospect of an additional 10,000 credits for the crew. A Abesclus comes up and awkwardly flirts with Isla, but after a few minutes of conversation leaves quite embarrassed. And then Carell and Isla set up a time for Isla, who is known as the champion of Naos 3, to run the pod racing track in the morning. On their way back to the ship, they find noodles four times, where Tazi and A1 meet them for a meal. Episode 22. Now this is pod racing. Uh, at noodles four time, the crew discussed what they had learned. Carell tried to go Tazi into racing, but he was not biting. Instead, they decided to use a VR simulation to practice running the track. They had the imposter A1 slice into the track's computer, and he got the layout of the track. I believe this is the first time we've used the VR since we played our game of Dungeons & Dragons. Absolutely. Back on the ship, Corell uh, and A1 made some goggles and a uh, new heads-up display of the track. Isla struggled with getting a good time with the VR. Unfortunately, Tazi actually did worse than her and claimed that he could not feel the vehicle he was piloting. He explained that you have to feel the vehicle. It's not just so much a simulation. Carell then jumped into the VR and almost beat the time. This concerned, maybe even upset Tazi a little bit, and he actually left the room. Tazi left in a huff and went straight to the track and wanted to run the course. The crew then left to catch up with him. Once at the course, Tazi convinced Zulara to let him run the course after hours, but she told him it would cost him an early registration fee. Isla, talking with the Besslisk, learned that her name is Arween. They began to flirt with each other, more awkwardly flirting, as that's kind of Isla's thing. That's everybody's thing. Uh, no one flirts confidently on this show. That's true. You are correct on that. Isla tried hard to convince Tazi to not run the course at night, but Tazi would not listen. 
Corel checked the pod and she added some lights. Tazi would not let Corel or A1 modify the pod, even when A1 tried to do it stealthily. Isla was scared Tazi would get hurt, but he was convinced he could get the feel for the pod. I think it's important to know too that like Tazi didn't want the pod modified because he to to him this was like a matter of principle. It was a matter of pride Absolutely. that he was able to run the course in the in the short time and not rely on trickery or or some kind of subterfuge to get the run completed. He knew he could do it. He had the faith in himself. But uh, but yeah, this was a uh, this was interesting. It could have been very could have ended very poorly for Tazi. It could have. Episode twenty three: The Proposal. Tazi hops in the pod racer and begins his run through all seven sections of the course and finds that because of the construction, there was actually a shortcut in the track. With the shortcut, Tazi was able to finish the track in three minutes, eight seconds. Zulara was impressed by his skills and told him to come back the next day to collect the prize money of 10,000 credits. The crew, plus the Besilisk, named Arween, went back to their suite and had a celebration party. In the morning, Isla found herself in the arms of a sleeping Arween. This made everyone a little uncomfortable, and things were, again, a little awkward. Just a little. The crew went back to the track to collect the prize money, and discovered that they would lose 2,000 credits for running the course without an appointment. Isla decided that she wanted to try the course, and Arween offered her pod. But, unfortunately, there were some mishaps on the track, and Isla crashed Arween's pod early in the run. As Isla was being helped out of the crash, she had a flashback, a memory revealed, that the name of her former ship was the Quarry. Zulara charged the crew a fee of 4,000 credits for the damages to the course. Tazi did his best and negotiated this down to 3,000, and this impressed Zulara, who then offered to breed with Tazi. More awkwardness. Bow, 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 bow. Episode 24, Emergency Funding. Tazi and Zuarla finished discussing her request to breed. Tazi politely declined her offer. The crew then went back to the ship with only 5,000 credits. There, the imposter A1 admitted that this meant the crew had a total of 5,050 credits and that he had lost the rest. Luckily, the repairs had already been paid for. Ugh. Nobody asked where he got the money to pay for him. He just said that they were paid for. The crew still needed a plan. Corell wanted to grab the slaves and just leave. This was rejected as the crew wanted to know more about the slaves and the potential baggage that would come along with them. Corell then requested that Zeb's mom, who we learned is named Naz, be sent up to their suite for a private dance. They had a conversation with her about how the crew was working to free them, and Naz did want to leave. During the talk, 11D4 scanned Naz and found a tracker hidden in her body. He told her it was a familiar design to him. Turned out that the trackers were a design from Munalist, similar to the ones he had used in the past. 11D4 did say that with A1's help, he could remove the trackers from each slave. During the discussion with Naz, the crew learned that Jenna Dakar was looking for someone named Lana Bahal. Naz told the crew that Jenna wants to have a conversation with Lana, one worthy of a good leader on Junk Fort Station. 
The crew also learned that Jenna goes to the pod racing track every day at noon. The crew split up. Tazi and Carell went to talk to Jenna. Isla and A1 left to go speak with Rowena's father. Thus we begin episode 25, 12% of a plan. Tazi and Carell find Jenna at her hotel, sitting by a private pool. They ask her what the purchase price would be for the slaves. And she replies that her price is 46,000 credits. Carell mentioned that the crew had lost credits to Lana Bahal and offered to bring Lana to Jenna in exchange for the slaves. Jenna agreed to this for the kids, plus an additional 5,000 credits for the parents. Meanwhile, A1 and Isla were speaking with Rarina's father. He was brought to the planet to help build the track, and they were controlling him through his addiction to Glitterstim. He wanted what was best for his daughter and agreed to undergo drug treatment with the crew. The crew met back at the ship and discussed several plans for acquiring Lana Bahal. The first idea was to have Tazi seduce her. This was quickly shot down, as seduction is clearly not his specialty. True. Secondly, Corel and A1 researched the holonet to see if Lana could be seduced by a different member of the crew. No luck there either. Seduction is a right out. The third idea was to have A1 try to win back Zeke and enough credits to buy the kids. Corel even suggested putting up the Kralitz Fang as collateral. Ooh. Yeah. This was not taken well by Tazi, and he said the only way this would work is if A1 cheated. The fourth idea was to simply ambush Lana and take her to Jenna. The crew, after some discussion, decided to go with option four, but found that Lana's ship was still very well protected. Leads us to episode 26, The Best Laid Plans. After spending time watching and researching Lana's ship, the crew decided that they could not just infiltrate her ship. Lana's ship was guarded by five guards and two locks. One of the locks was a retinal scanner, and the other was a mechanical keypad with a rotating code. It would take two of them to break the codes and bypass the locks. This led to more discussion about how and where to ambush Lana. No decision was reached quickly, and Carell went to go make dinner. While Carell was gone, the rest of the crew continued talking about what to do. This led to the beginning of a plan. They then went to present Carell with this plan, and she got very upset that she was not involved with the planning. She and Tazi had an argument about this, and 11D4 was there to observe this disagreement. This led D4 to asking if he was part of the crew, and Tazi told him that yes, he is part of the crew, and should be involved in the planning phase. Isla suggested that the crew ambush Lana on her way from the casino back to her ship. This led to a bit more of a temper tantrum from Carell, and Tazi then hid in the snuggle pot. Isla then led D4 and A1 in planning the ambush. D4 developed a tranquilizer for Lana's bodyguards, and A1 developed a small EMP bomb to disable Lana's speeder. Isla was reminded that she needed to include everyone in the planning. This led her to getting the crew back together to discuss or somewhat argue about how they would proceed. That brings us to episode 27, Chaos Theory. Corel and Tazi continue arguing about how the plan had been formed, and then Tazi left the ship. 
Meanwhile, D4 reviews the plan with Corel and tries to calm her down. During the talk, D4 tries to calm Tazi, but unbeknownst to them, Tazi had smashed his calm. A1 offers to go find Tazi and finds him in a nearby dive bar. Tazi tells A1 that he was tired of apologizing for being himself, and he's tired of fighting with Corel. A1 and Tazi talk through this, and A1 heads back to the ship alone. Once on the ship, Corel asked A1 if she should leave the crew and go back to the temple. A1 pops the hand out of his dome and smacks her, and tells her never to say that again. And Corel, in a bit of an outburst, reaches out with the force and crushes his hand. She tells A1 that she was looking for an emotional connection, not a physical reaction. A1 was confused because this had worked on Ko in the distant past. Looking around, A1 finds Isla in her room, and they have a talk about why everyone feels they are in the way of the crew's success. A1 convinces Isla to talk to Corel, but like Tazi, Corel had already left the ship. Unbeknownst to the crew, Corel had gone to Lana's ship and convinced one of the guards to meet her for a date later that night. Back on the ship, A1 receives a call from Tazi, and finds that Tazi needs to be bailed out of jail. It turned out that Tazi got himself into a little bit of a scrap with a dug. On the way to get Tazi, A1 passes Corel, and she apologizes for her outburst. She also tells him about her date with the guard. A1 tells Corel about Tazi getting detained, and she accompanies A1 to bail out their captain. Once Corel and A1 free Tazi, Corel then takes the time to apologize for overreacting earlier. Tazi uh, apologizes himself, and they hug. Everyone regroups on the ship and discusses what had happened and what they were going to do next. Corel explains her date and her plan to use the guard as a means to getting onto Lana's ship. This amused the rest of the crew, as this is not Corel's typical plan of action, and they wanted to see how this was going to play out. A1 then admitted to Tazi and Isla that he had told Zeke to go away, and that he did not lose him gambling. A1 told them he had wiped Zeke's memories, and that Zeke was not a danger to the crew. Liar. Pants on fire. <laughs> A few moments later, Corel left for her date, and the rest of the crew listened in on their comms. A1 was asked to follow her and to watch her back. For once, the crew actually got to spy in on Corel on a date versus her spying in on Isla and Tazi. Right? What goes around comes around. Absolutely. <laughs> that leads us into episode 28, Dark Side of the Mune. A1 followed Corel and did his best to not be spotted. He did manage to not be seen, but in the process got his hand stuck straight up. Unbeknownst to A1, D4 had also followed him. D4 had decided that he should cover A1's back. Both droids watched Corel's date from the shadows in a bar. Corel's date was awkward and pretty much unproductive. The guard could not get her on the ship. Tazi and Isla were very entertained listening to Corel's date, and Isla drank too much. A1 realized the date was going poorly and asked Tazi if he should interrupt the date. Tazi told him, no, this is a good chance for Corel to learn something. After the date, the crew regrouped back on the ship, where they had more discussions on what to do, and they decided to go back to the ambush plan. The next day, the crew readied themselves and then left for the ambush. And that brings us to the last episode of Season 4, Episode 29, 
We do the job, and we get paid. The crew gets into positions for the ambush. Tazi finds himself on a rooftop, and opening a case he found that was left behind from Ko. In the case were attachments to turn his pistol into a rifle. Isla steps in front of Lana's speeder, and the ambush is sprung. The crew manages to capture Lana, and does not kill anyone. They take Lana back to the Kralitz Fang, and leave a message for Jenna. Jenna quickly calls them back and speaks to Tazi. She tells him that she could meet the crew at a cave outside the city, but she could not meet them until the next day. Then, Jenna offered an additional 20,000 credits if the crew could learn about the whereabouts of the mask. Dun dun dun. Lana was put into the snuggle pod for holding, and D4 offered to use his old skills to get the information. Tazi did not want D4 to use those torture skills. Instead, he and Corel questioned Lana, and she offered them 70,000 credits to let her go. Corel refused this outright and used the force to make Lana have feelings of trust toward her. Lana admitted that she worked for the Republic and that the information about the mask would change the course of the war. Lana then revealed that the mask is on Bunta and that it is a bone-white mask. Corel asked D4 about the memory-altering gas he's had experience with, but he did not have the formula to make it, unfortunately. The crew then discussed what to do next. Corel and A1 called the Jedi Temple and spoke with Master Thal. He did not recognize the description of this bone-white mask. Thal advised them not to let Lana fall into Jenna's hands. At that, a new plan was made. Grab the slaves and leave before morning. Tazi was not happy that another crime lord would be upset with them. Corel admitted the whole situation was partially her fault. Decisions were made that A1 and Isla would steal Lana's ship and that they would all head back to Coruscant. A1 snuck into the snuggle pod and it was revealed that both he and Lana worked for the director. Imposter A1 tells her that he would deal with the situation. The crew rounds up all the slaves, the children, and their parents, board the ship, and remove their trackers. On the way to stealing Lana's ship, A1 and Isla notice that Jenna's penthouse has been blown up in an explosion. A fault in the building was blamed for the explosion, and A1 found a report showing that Lana had died. Tazi explained the explosion to Corel, and Corel investigated the ship's comm log to see if anyone on the ship was responsible. She discovered that a call was made using Ko's old comm and could not be tracked to anyone on the ship. The crew then travels to Coruscant and lands both ships, the Kralitz Fang and Lana's ship, on the platform in front of the Jedi Temple. As they debark the ships, A1 and Tazi are met by a Twi'lek, who then asks, What are you doing with my wife? And that's where Season 4 left off. We hope you guys have enjoyed all these recap episodes. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for joining us. Hope you enjoy the great story that we're telling. If you've been around for a while, hopefully these recap episodes have entertained you. If there's things we left out that you think are important, hit us up on social media. Or if you want, join our Discord channel and talk to us there. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, again, uh, I would recommend highly that if you like what you heard in the recaps, go back and listen to the episodes. There's a lot we have to leave out in these recaps. There's a lot of interaction between the characters, some comedy, some drama, uh, all the things that make our show fun and awkward. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thank and we'll you. see you all for season five coming up in a few short weeks. Absolutely. Good night. Good night. And may the force be with you. Hey, Andy, have you been playing with D&D Beyond? I have been playing with D&D Beyond, especially when I'm playing characters with magic. 
I love my physical player's handbook, don't get me wrong. But mid-game, D&D Beyond is a lifesaver. As a GM, I agree with you. I'm running my group through Storm King's Thunder right now. Ooh. And I literally will have a tab open with the module, another window open on my display where I can show monsters and maps. They give you player versions of the maps. And I can literally go, you see one of these, and throw a picture up on the monitor for them to see, which makes it easier for me because I don't have to describe everything. And everything's hyperlinked. So if I'm in a module and I click on the monster, I can just open it in a new tab. There's all of its combat stats and everything I need to know about it in one place. Honestly, D&D Beyond is pretty darn amazing, and it works on tablets, too, for characters. dndbeyond.com is the website. This is a great resource, and it is well worth the subscription. This episode's patron is Danny Neary. Hi, Mom! Hi, Mom. I'm not calling her Mom. A1, I can read Arabesh. I don't need... Alright, fine. Redemption is played using the Star Wars role-playing game system from Fantasy Flight Games and Lucas Books. If you enjoy Redemption, reach out to us on social media. Facebook and Twitter are at RedemptionPod, and our website is RedemptionPodcast.com. We're also on Instagram at RedemptionPodcast. Please review the show on whatever podcatcher you use. This not only helps people find the podcast, it also really helps the crew feel better about themselves. If you like our crew, you can toss a few credits our way at patreon.com slash redemption. Thank you, all of you. All right, A1, how is that? Just, I can read, okay? 